And this is God's word. Thank you, Chet, for bringing it to us this morning. So while we are in John, we're seeing how Jesus, the word, became flesh and how he related to other people. So that's what John is telling us and showing us, how John relates to people. So the context of this passage that Chet has read for you is that Jesus was in the wilderness where John the Baptist was preaching and, and teaching people to repent, where he was baptizing. And keep in mind, Jesus is 30 years old at this point. And they leave the wilderness and go north. They go to Galilee, about 60 miles north. And the passage today takes place in Cana, which is not far from Nazareth, which was the hometown of Jesus. Now, here, just in this little section, look at all the geographical reference points that John gives us. The Bible is full of them. Places that you can actually see, you can go to and verify because God's Word is true. Not only because you can verify it, but because it came from the mind of God. But John is telling us how Jesus is relating to people. Now we know that John only includes seven of Jesus' miracles in his gospel. And these he called signs. These signs point beyond themselves and they point to a deeper truth, spiritual truths about who Jesus is and why he came into this world. Who and why. And so the miracles or the signs of Jesus reveal his identity as the Messiah. So in this passage, we have the first miracle that Jesus performed, the very first one, at least publicly. So this first sign, turning water into wine. Now, he's not turning water into Welch's grape juice. He's turning water into wine. I've heard preachers say the wine back in the Bible was not what we would think of wine. I think it was. Why else would there be so much teaching about abusing it? And so Jesus, as his first sign, turned water into wine. Now the Jews weren't gluttons for drinking. In fact, they looked down on drunkenness, and that's why the word speaks to that as well. But here Jesus did a miracle. And uh, we want to look a little closer at that. Think about launching a new business, whether that's a local business or a national business. People go to great expense and great effort to promote their new business. They want people to know about their product. They want people to know about their service. And so they go to great effort so that that name can get out there. And they want people to see it and to buy into it. Well, here's Jesus at the beginning of his public ministry. And if anyone could make a good first impression, certainly Jesus Christ could do that. He could say, well, let's call this new ministry Galaxy Ministries. And then he could say, poof, and a brand new galaxy would appear so that everybody could see, and there on that would be a label, Galaxy Ministries. But Jesus doesn't think like we do. He doesn't act like we do. Thankfully, here's Jesus at the beginning of his public ministry. He's in a public setting and he performs a miracle 
Yet only a few people know that a miracle has even taken place. Only a few. So we want to look at that. What does this miracle point to? Well, the setting is a wedding. Valerie's already mentioned that. And a wedding in that culture is different than a wedding in our culture. A wedding then was a week-long celebration. And a celebration that the whole region would come to. Cana was near Nazareth, which was the hometown of Mary and Jesus. And so that's why Mary is there. And that's why Jesus was invited, because it's a regional celebration. Mary was likely involved in the planning and the helping with this wedding because when she noticed that the wine was giving out, she took the initiative to do something about it. And also the way she gave direction to the servants. But somebody messed up in this planning. They, they underestimated the number of people that would be there or they underestimated the amount of wine that they would need. Either way, Somebody made a huge mistake. Now, we might not think much about that. We'd say, well, when the wine is out, just serve water. That'll do. But in that culture, this was a disaster. The groom's family was responsible for providing the wine. And to not have enough food or wine would be a huge embarrassment for both families. A huge embarrassment. So this is a big deal right here. There was a rabbinical saying that said, if there is no wine, there is no joy. So, no joy, no celebration. So people had come from all over the region. And they had come to celebrate. But the wine had run out. Mary went to Jesus. And she simply said, they have no more wine. As if Jesus didn't know that. Now Jesus is God. He knows everything. But Mary, in her motherly instincts, told Jesus they have no more wine. Now have you ever been in a situation like this that your mother comes to you and tells you of a need? Now my mom is here this morning, so I'm not at complete liberty to go far into this. <laughs> but they... Mothers usually state this in the way of a need. Even to the point of saying, I need to do so and so, which means you need to do so and so. You need to help me do this. I can remember uh, as a teenager, my mom would come to the room, my room door. Now this is right after summer vacation started. She'd come to the uh, room and say, we need to put up corn today. If you don't know what put up corn means, that means you're going to get out of bed, go to the cornfield, and pick about 300, 400 ears of corn and spend the half of the day getting that corn ready to put up in the freezer. That's putting up corn. And I can remember thinking the same reply that Jesus gave, woman, why do you involve me? Or literally, woman, what is that to me? And I've seen the same response in David and Jason when Judy would go to their room and say, somebody needs to clean this room up. Woman, why do you involve me? Well, the NIV adds, dear, dear woman. But it's really just woman. 
That's not disrespectful. That's an idiom for that culture. But there is a shifting of relationship between Mary and Jesus. No longer just mother and son, but now sinner and Savior and servant and Lord. I also love what Mary said to the servants, almost like she's winking or smiling as she walks by them. Do whatever He tells you to do. Do whatever He says to do. See, Mary knew that Jesus could do something and would do something. She had a wonderful sense of confidence in Jesus. Why? Where did that confidence come from? Well, she remembered the angel 30 years ago. She remembered when Gabriel came to her and told her about her son, that he will be great and will be called the son of the Most High. She remembered the miraculous events that surrounded his birth. And she knew that Jesus was going to do something about this problem, even if she didn't know what he was going to do. She didn't know what. And sure enough, Jesus responded. He told the servants, fill up those jars with water. And they did to the brim, so there would be no deception at all. They filled them up. And then he said, dip some out and take to the master of the banquet, the one who was in charge to make sure that the celebration was indeed a celebration. And when the master of the banquet tasted the wine, he pulled the bridegroom aside and commended him for saving the best wine for last. And so in compassion, this wedding couple and the families of the couple had been saved from public humiliation. They had been saved from shame. And when the disciples saw this, they put their faith in Jesus. Now they were already following Jesus, but they saw this. Jesus knew that they needed something like this. And this sign was given for their benefit because they would learn that following Jesus always leads to deepening levels of faith. Always does. That's why I always say, take the next step in your life of faith. Because there's always a deeper step of faith. Now, that is our passage. And I want to give you some simple lessons that we can learn from this side. There are eight. Now, don't tune me out when I say eight. They go quickly. First, there is an abundance of God's grace through Jesus. An abundance. This celebration was basically over until Jesus acted. It was over. It was dying. And His gift of wine was more than enough. I mean, think about it. Six jars of wine, each one holding 20 to 30 gallons each. That's up to 180 gallons of wine. More than they would need. It's true for us. Every day, Jesus gives us more than we need. It's just up to us to think about it. Think about His grace. But there's an abundance in God's grace through Jesus. Number two, Jesus associated with common people then, and He still does today. Just common people. He was a very social person, as Valerie has already mentioned. 
In fact, he was so social that the Jews accused him of associating with sinners too much. But Jesus never gave the impression that he was on some kind of religious pedestal and unapproachable. Never did. So don't ever think that you're not good enough for Jesus. Don't ever think that you have to clean yourself up before you come to Jesus. He'll do the cleaning up. You just come to Him. He is waiting for your invitation for Him to walk with you. Number three, take your problem to Jesus and trust Him to take care of it. No matter what it is. There's no problem too big, no problem too small. Take your problem to Jesus and trust Him to take care of it. Now, He might not respond how you want Him to or when you want Him to, but trust Him with the problem. Mary didn't know how Jesus was going to handle this problem, but she knew that He would. She trusted without understanding. Whatever He says, do. Trust without demanding understanding. Mary had a great confidence that whatever Jesus did would be right. You can have that same confidence too, that whatever Jesus does in your life will be right. Number four, Jesus allows people to participate with Him in His miracles. Think back to the servants. They were there. Mary had told them to do whatever Jesus said, and they did. They obeyed Jesus' instructions to fill up the water pots and then to dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. They did. And because they obeyed Jesus, they had a part in a miracle. Jesus may be doing a miracle in someone's life in your circle of influence, in your family, your co-workers, your friends. Jesus may be doing a miracle in their life. So whatever He leads you to do, do it. And when you do, you may be taking part, if not a miracle, then in whatever He is doing in another person's life. So let us be faithful to do what He leads us to do. Number five, Jesus came into this world to give you joy. Are you lacking in joy? Jesus came to give you joy. Wine is often used in Scripture to represent joy, especially in the Old Testament. The wedding celebration was dying because the supply of wine was gone. But Jesus brought the party back to life by replacing the water with wine. He replaces emptiness with fullness. He brings us joy. See, the joy in your life will run out unless it's based on the abundant grace of Jesus. It will run out. But if you base your joy on the abundant grace of Jesus, then it will never run out. Number six, Jesus came in order that your life could be complete. In the Bible, the number six stands for incompletion, imperfection. Six falls short of seven, which is the number in the Bible for perfection. But six falls short of that. These six stone jars symbolize the fact that ceremonial purification of Judaism fell short. 
In fact, all attempts to be good and righteous fall short in God's eyes. Only Jesus meets God's requirements for righteousness. Only Jesus. Everything else falls short. And so this life will leave you always searching. But in Jesus, you will find completeness. You will find peace. You will find contentment and joy. Number seven, God gives you credit for what Jesus has done. Don't miss this. God gives you credit for what Jesus has done. The master of the banquet, when he tasted that wine, he went to the bridegroom and he commended him for saving the best wine for last. Now, the bridegroom didn't even know what had happened. I doubt he even knew the wine had run out, much less having anything to do with providing more wine. Yet the bridegroom got the credit for providing the wine when it was Jesus who provided it. See, because of our faith in Jesus, God gives us credit for the perfect life that Jesus lived. Do you know that? That God gives us credit for His righteousness. That's good news. Because you can't live a life of righteousness on your own. You can't do it, but you get credit for the life that Jesus lived. Number eight. The miracle of salvation cannot be seen, but the results of it can be. Think about the wine. The, the servants filled up those stone pots to the brim. Then Jesus said, draw some out. Somewhere between the filling up and drawing out, a miracle took place that no one could see. It took place in the confines of those stone jars. But the results of that miraculous transformation was evident to everyone who saw that wine and tasted it. See, that's the results of the transformation that took place inside of the jar. There's a miracle that takes place in the heart of everyone who believes in Jesus Christ that no one can see. It takes place in here because of what Christ has done. And that miracle then becomes seen as our lives are lived. It's evident in a changed life and a changing life. Now, why our lives aren't changed just like that wine was, I don't know. Our perfection takes time. But salvation was instant when belief happened. So people can't see the miracle of salvation, but they see the results of it. And so these quick lessons, we learn from this sign, Jesus' first sign, which was a picture of what Jesus came to do. John's the miracles and the signs that he includes are for a purpose to show us what Jesus came for. And this sign shows us that Jesus came to transform lives. Just like that water was turned to wine, he has come to change us, to transform our lives from condemned to not guilty, from dead to being alive. He came to transform us in that way. 
Wine, I, I mentioned, was used for joy, but it was also used to represent blood. Jesus used wine as a symbol of His own blood. Now think back to the Exodus. One of the first miracles that God did through Moses was that Moses turned the water into blood. It was one of the miracles just before the exodus of the people from Egypt. And Moses turned all the water to blood. And that miracle represented God's judgment. Here in this miracle, Jesus turned water into wine, and wine represented the blood of Jesus. And this miracle represents God's grace. The righteous for the unrighteous. Those who deserve death are given life. Those who are dead are made alive. Don't you see? This sign is pointing to us that Jesus came to transform lives because of grace. When Jesus responded to Mary, first of all, He said, why do you involve me? But then He added, my hour has not yet come. He's talking about His death. And so Jesus is, is looking ahead at His own death. Now imagine at that celebration, the wedding was taking place, the wine had been provided by Jesus. And the celebration had now come back to life. And the people there at the celebration were sipping on the wine, enjoying themselves because of what Jesus had done. Now think about Jesus watching that. And He's standing off, watching the people enjoying themselves, perhaps thinking about the wedding feast of the Lamb. That one day everybody who believes will participate and celebrate, but only because of what Christ has done. See, Jesus knew that in order for us to gain redemption, for us to be a part of that celebration, He knew what He would have to do. He would drink a cup of sorrow so that you and I could drink a cup of everlasting joy. And He did it because of His grace and because of His mercy. And we will do that in the presence of God. It was His purpose in coming to restore the relationship. And it was the plan all along. Listen to the prophet Isaiah. The Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain He will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. That's death. He'll destroy that. The Sovereign Lord will wipe away every tear from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of all His peoples from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. This is God's Word. In that day they will say, Surely this is our God. We trusted in Him and He saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in Him. Let us rejoice and be glad in His salvation. See, Jesus is showing us here that He is the true master of the banquet. There is no other. Jesus is the true master of the banquet. And by faith, you and I get credit for what Jesus has done. 
And so live this day in light of that day. And see, when you do that, you can go through anything. And that's how you can have joy in terrible circumstances because you are living in the present in light of the future. In light of what He intends to do. And that He is guaranteed through the work of Jesus Christ His Son. And see, the world points a finger at Christians and Christianity. And they point that finger the, and, and they say and they accuse, how can a loving God send good people to hell? Well, I don't think God sends anybody to hell, good or bad. I think people choose hell. But see, Christians know that there is a better question to ask. And it is this, why does a just God allow sinners to go to heaven? And see, the rest of our lives is spent pondering that question and being amazed at the grace that a just God would allow sinners like us to go to heaven. To be a Christian means that you realize that you are out of wine. You're empty. Your life is empty. And your party is dying. To be a Christian, you realize that. And you admit that all of your efforts to be good have fallen short. And you just simply trust Jesus to make up the difference. That's what it means to be a Christian. And so, see, there's no room for arrogance and pride and, and a spirit of judgment in the life of a Christian. Just thankfulness and awareness. And you spend the rest of your life in response to what Jesus has done. Have you trusted Him? Today is the day. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your living Word. And I pray that You would impress upon hearts what that next step is. Maybe people have been following Jesus and they have believed they are a Christian, but they need to take another step of faith. I pray that You would lead them to that step. I pray that you would lead us to that step. Maybe there are those who have never admitted their own shortcoming. I pray, Lord, that you would open eyes, open hearts, that we would all respond to your Spirit. And I ask all of this in Jesus' name.